0: Good morning, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hey, there we are. It's really good to see you all. Uh, My name is Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, if we haven't met, uh, hopefully we'll get to a little bit later. And if this is your first week here, or if this is your 12th week here, or your whatever week here, uh, we would love, and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, come on over for pizza. It's my invitation. Come and get some pizza right after church uh, at the portal. We would love to get to know you. Um, yeah, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to uh, Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to be in just a little bit. Um, if you've been in church world for very long, uh, it's really easy to slip into a couple of misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian. No matter how well you understand your Bible, if you've taken Jace's classes, if you understand all of the themes of the Old Testament around gold which is super nerdy what he's teaching, but it'll be really fun for all of you who go. Um, uh, And if if you feel like you're a person who has all of your theological ducks in a row, there is still a subtle pull in all of our lives towards what I think are like two common Christian pitfalls. The first pitfall that's really common for Christians is to begin to measure your success or failure as a Christian by how well you are doing avoiding sin or other types of unhealthy behavior. Um, so uh, you know uh, philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard, he calls this the Gospel of sin management. And the aim of your discipleship simply ends up being reduced to how can I stop or keep myself from sinning? When I was a young younger follower of Jesus uh, in sort of my college years, I was in a small group of guys and we met weekly to talk and pray, sort of an accountability group, a little bit of a Bible study. And um, if we're honest, the topic of conversation every week was the exact same thing. And it was this. Were you able to avoid sexual sin this week? Sorry, if you're squirming right now, it's going to get worse. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, and that was literally it. That was, like, that was literally the entirety of this small group. Every single week was just to check in with each other. And so there was nothing for us beyond avoiding porn or lust or mass- messing <sighs> around... <laughs> with your... I got to reset. I need a hard reset. Woo! My mom is watching right now. All right. And so... um, And so... (laughs) And so for this group, we never like got together and talked about money. We never talked about our dreams or our for our careers or our education. We didn't stru- talk about like how we were struggling with understanding key themes in the Bible. We didn't talk about whether we were praying or sharing our faith or anything else. For that group in that season, our discipleship boiled down to how we were doing managing one particular sin. And this wasn't like some kind of support group. This was just the totality of what consumed kind of what we assumed was a healthy spirituality with Jesus. Now, if you're new to church and you didn't grow up in youth group, that may sound ridiculous to you, but this is actually the way that we all work as human beings. Pick a lane and measure your life based on how well you are doing with that particular thing. So in church world, it's sin management or it's sometimes like formational practices management. Did I read my Bible every day this week? Did I pray? Did I give enough? But outside of Christianity, it's just the same thing. It's any number of other obsessions. Image management. Did I post the right thing after the the tragic thing happened in our world? It's financial management. It's career management. It's parenting performance. It's physical health. It's social media. We live in an age of project self where we all just sort of subtly find ourselves drifting into this, this way of thinking where we measure ourselves based on how we can manage. That's pitfall number one. And then the other pitfall Christians can fall into is running ourselves ragged with a burden for sort of our perceived urgency in God's mission. Like I have to save the world. I have been saved by Jesus. And so therefore now he has sent me to go save the world. And if I'm not selling everything I own and if I'm not moving to the other side of the world, if I am not sharing my faith on the street corner, if I am not giving everything that I have to serving in the church and participating in mission and do, planting a church and burying myself all for the sake of God's mission, then I am not a faithful enough Christian. It's an intense overcommitment commitment to a misguided understanding of God's call on the follower of Jesus. And it leads us into burnout and to failure and to shame. And for many, this burnout eventually leads to ultimate disillusionment and bitterness. And here's the thing about both of these pitfalls. Both of them are rooted in something that is true. The call of God on our lives as Christians is to be ruthless toward the areas of of disobedience, whether conscious or unconscious, that we all have. And the call of God is for each one of us, not just pastors and leaders, but every person who is a follower of Jesus to be radically committed to his work in the world. But I want to contend this morning that God just might, have something better for us than sin management or burnout. I believe that God's purpose for his people, his church, might actually lead us into human flourishing and impact in our world. And somehow, Jesus says that this dual thing of human flourishing and impact in our world will also be for us an easy yoke and a light burden. And so this morning, we are finishing up a month-long sermon series on what God has called this church to be all about. Um, As you heard earlier, our vision is to become a church that is empowered by the Spirit for a purpose to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of our city. And what that means is that we wanna see every P, every person who comes through the door and every person who is in our community and in our neighborhood, filled with the spirit so that their lives would be transformed by Jesus to be equipped so that they might proclaim and demonstrate what God's kingdom is all about, this kingdom of love and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in our local community. And we do this, as Aaron mentioned, through sort of four core values: that we, we, we do this by prioritizing the presence of God, formation, community. And mission. So we pr- we prioritize being in God's presence through worship and prayer. We practice formation by walking the way of Jesus transformed disciples. We prioritize our life together so that we might support and celebrate and mourn and struggle and love and forgive and serve one another in community. And we are living on sacrificial mission for the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. Of the city through acts of justice and evangelism, and I know that everything that I just said kind of sounds a little jargony and intense, but that's because we have worked really hard to try to understand who God is making us in this time, in this season for our city. And so we have spent the last month preaching on each of these four values, um, and uh, and it's through these four expressions that we believe God is leading us to become a people that practice and proclaim God's kingdom. And so this morning we're going to finish up by talking about the fourth value which is a commitment to God's mission, right? Is everybody still with me? You guys understand? Okay, cool. We're essentially asking the question, what is the purpose of the church? What is God inviting his people to do and to give their lives for? I'm so glad that you guys ask such insightful questions. So go ahead and look down at Luke chapter four. I'm gonna pray and then we'll read. God, we thank you that you have, um, that you have come that you have sacrificed your life, Jesus, on the cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to the Father and that you didn't just leave us now to wait it out until we die or until we, we someday go to heaven, but that you've actually said that there is work for us to do here and now as your followers. So Lord, we ask that today as we open your scriptures that you would illuminate to your people what you are calling us into in this time and in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when Jesus first burst onto the scene, he announced himself with his own sort of manifesto, which came from a passage in the writings of the prophet Isaiah. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he goes to his hometown, Nazareth, to the synagogue, which was likely the synagogue that he grew up going to uh, as a young boy. And he opened the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we read in that passage that he rolls up the scroll and he says, This passage is fulfilled today in your hearing, which means that he was talking to all these people and he said, That passage from Isaiah is really all about me, and these are my, mar- my mar- marching orders. Let's go. That is Jesus' manifesto. That is what he came to do. What is a better job description than that? Here is the vision for Jesus' life. And I think that it's important for us. When you've, if you've been in church world for very long, a, another misconception that honestly like, starts to creep into our hearts is that Jesus, the purpose of Jesus' life was merely to come and die on a cross as an atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, which is true. He did that. But before he went to the cross, he had another job to do. And this is the description that he says of what he came to do. He was empowered by the Spirit for a purpose. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, to announce freedom to those who are in bondage, to physically heal the blind and everyone else, to deliver those who are oppressed by the evil one, and to announce the kingdom of God. And then Jesus did just that. In Matthew chapter four, we read another passage, a description of, or a summary of Jesus' ministry. We read this in verse 23, he says, and, we, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching his If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a story about the moment when Jesus burst onto the scene in your life. And so, across this room, there are stories of Jesus coming to announce good news to us, to set us free from bondage, from afflictions and addictions, from demonic thought patterns or false identities that were spoken over us by our parents or maybe an ex. Jesus burst into our lives to heal our bodies and to heal our relationships and our marriages. He announces a future of hope and joy and life for each and every one of us, regardless of what you have done in your past, what you have done even yesterday or this morning. Jesus comes to you with good news of welcome to the kingdom of God. And this is what his kingdom looks like. He forgives sin He heals bodies, he restores what's been broken and separated by sin, and he does it all with the words of his mouth and with a touch of his hands. For Jesus, it's all about living into and demonstrating the kingdom of God, which, again, philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard describes as the range of God's effective will, where what he wants done is done. One of the theological fathers of our movement, the Vineyard Movement, a a man named Don Williams, he he passed away uh, yesterday morning, actually. Um, But this is how he describes the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is what life looks like when God is in charge. So why did Jesus come? He came on a mission to inaugurate and declare a new reality where what God wants done is done the central theme of Jesus' life and death and ministry is simply summed up in this. Another one of uh, the early leaders in the Vineyard Movement, a man named John Wimber, he wrote about Jesus' life and ministry like this, and buckle up, this is a little bit of a longer quote, but I think it's a really good one, okay? He writes, Jesus was full of the Spirit without measure and empowered for a purpose, to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. In the Gospels, we find Jesus' action plan for spirit-empowered ministry. Jesus proclaimed the release of the poor and poor in spirit. He declared freedom to prisoners, both literal and those bound in sin and darkness. He cast out demons. He healed the sick, and he mentored disciples to do the same. Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated God's right to rule creation as he destroyed the works of Satan. He equipped followers and promised that they would do what he did because everyone who was fully trained will be like his teacher. I view this process of kingdom ministry as a continuum. What is Jesus' vision today is the question many leaders ask. And sometimes I wonder if we have it right. What I encourage in the Vineyard Churches is asking Jesus to build his vision and strategy among us. I am trying to keep up with him and believe and do what his book says. So what is Jesus' vision? The kingdom of God. Our primary aim in life is to love and glorify God participating in the expansion of his kingdom in relevant ways in the time allotted us. As communities of the king, churches should model what the kingdom looks like when God has his way with a group of people. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? The kingdom of God, that we should model what the kingdom of God looks like when God has his way with a group of people. Now, when you hear this quote, some of the language that that John Wimber wrote might seem a little bit familiar. That's because we literally ripped our mission statement straight from John Wimber's writing here. As we were discerning and praying through sort of our church's purpose in this neighborhood, in this time, we just want to take our cue from Jesus. If Jesus was full of the Spirit without measure and empowered for a purpose to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, then we as a church family long to be a church empowered by the Spirit for a purpose, to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of our city. And that, my friends, I believe, I'm convinced, is something worth living for. It's following Jesus in his mission rather than asking Jesus to bless ours. And so when Jesus ascended to be with the Father, his manifesto became our mandate. And now, as transformed disciples, we are commissioned to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom just like Jesus did. And so, when you look at this manifesto of Jesus, it has two primary calls on the Christian life what we call evangelism and justice, proclamation and demonstration. And so, first, proclamation. Jesus says that he was anointed by the Spirit to bring good news and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as followers of Jesus, we are called by God to share the good news that has so transformed each one of our lives. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus leaves his followers with this commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. No doubt, a very familiar passage for many of us. And then again, at the end of Mark's gospel, this is Mark's uh, description of the same moment. He said, it says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Or again, in Acts chapter one, we read Jesus say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are three different accounts of the same moment. Jesus is saying the same thing here. He says, wait until you are empowered by the Spirit for a purpose, to go into the world and share the good news with everyone. And then later on, decades later, after Jesus ascended to heaven, we read the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthian church write this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, that's the gospel right there. That's the gospel, is that if anybody is in Christ, they are made a totally new creation, that through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection three days later, all of the power and the penalty for our sin has been broken by Jesus so that we could be reconciled to God as fully new creations. But here's the thing. When you are made a new creation in Christ, the apostle Paul here says, but that's not the end of the line. You were created not just to enjoy being with God, you were created to be an ambassador. And through your life, God is making his appeal to the rest of the world to, with the same message, you also can be reconciled to God. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, we implore you, be reconciled to God. We beg you, we shake you and say, be reconciled to God. That's the language that the Apostle Paul is saying here. Not a good evangelism technique, but you, get, you understand the heart behind it. So on one hand, we have this mandate to proclaim the gospel. And then we have the second mandate of demonstration. We proclaim the kingdom and we demonstrate or practice the kingdom. If proclamation is all about, is all about evangelism, then demonstration is all about justice. It's about working to undo all of the effects of evil and sin that is in our world. So when you look at the life of Jesus, he demonstrated God's kingdom through the supernatural. He went about everywhere and he healed the sick. He gave sight to those who were blind. He cleansed lepers. He cast out demons. People would grab a hold of his coat and they would be suddenly healed of diseases and illnesses that they had been carrying for years and years. It was a supernatural undoing of all of sin's effects. But Jesus demonstrated the kingdom in other ways as well. He practiced kingdom justice by serving those who were suffering. He fed the hungry. He gave to the poor. He clothed the naked. He gave drink to the thirsty. He cared for the marginalized, and he dignified people who were in a lower state than himself. He came near to those who were unclean. He grieved with those who were suffering. He ate with prostitutes and sinners. Jesus practiced supernatural justice. He practiced Personal acts of justice, but again, he didn't stop there. Jesus continued to demonstrate kingdom justice by confronting systemic injustice. He threw over tables in a temple system that was practicing racial discrimination and exploitation. He ministered in Samaria to break down the wall of hostility between the ethnic enemies. He invited women to be his disciples in a culture that was entirely patriarchal. He extended restorative mercy to a woman who was caught in adultery and at the time legally worthy of death. He confronted an oppressive religious system of the Pharisees that defined itself by who it excludes. And instead, Jesus extends an invitation of welcome and love of the Father to those who are farthest from God. And now all of these things have become the mandate of his people, the church. We are to follow him in practicing the kingdom of God through the supernatural. And we believe that here in the Vineyard Church. We believe that God calls us to heal the sick and to prophesy blessing and, and, and to, uh, to cast out demons and to remove everything that oppresses and binds up people supernaturally. And we are called to, to follow him by caring for the vulnerable in feeding the poor and welcoming the outsider and clothing the naked and providing for those who are in need. And we are called to following, following him by confronting systems that oppress. We resist the violence of the state. We welcome the foreigner and the refugee. We fight against institutional racism and its effects. We are people who are all about proclamation and demonstration. Amen? 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 And we do all of this motivated by the good news of God's kingdom. Not that we think that we can realize some kind of humanistic utopia on the earth through sort of our our brute force and our grit effort and our determination, but rather as an extension of God's grace towards each one of us in Christ Jesus. And so when we say as a church that we are committed to the value of God's mission, this is what we mean. Evangelism and justice, proclamation, and demonstration. And we do it all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, if you're wired like me, you know, hearing the mission of, of God sort of described in these ways, it's inspiring. It, like, gets you motivated. It gets you all fired up and ready to go. When you imagine this kingdom-saturated life, you get, like, all juiced up. Like, let's, let's run out the door and let's go do the stuff. But for others... Maybe when you hear all of this, it feels overwhelming or impossible or scary. Make disciples of all nations, overcoming systemic injustice. Oh, sure, I'll go do that. Supernaturally heal the sick and cast out demons. Like for most of us, our lives do not have a whole lot of those those things happening on a regular basis. Some will be inspired by the call of God and mission to run at an insane pace until you burn out, fail, and leave a wake of pain and brokenness behind you. And others will be paralyzed into inaction and choose to only engage in what you feel like you can actually control, which leads us back to the beginning of this message, those two Christian pitfalls, sin management or crushing burden of mission. And somehow, Jesus calls us to another way that is no less radical and yet is somehow sustainable. And it's the way of simple obedience. Somehow, when Jesus announced his manifesto about preaching good news to the poor, setting at liberty those who are oppressed, Recovery of sight to the blind, all of these things. He was able to still maintain, he was able to sustain a lifestyle of mission without anxiety and burnout. But how? Right? Good question. So glad you asked. John 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus sustained a life of ministry by always being clear where his orders came from. He says he only did what he saw the father doing and was being invited into. He wasn't motivated by the overwhelming and crushing burden of need that was all around him. Of saving every hurting person and confronting every injustice. Rather, his life was committed to simple and yet also radical obedience that was motivated by love. And this, my friends, is how each one of us can live like Jesus. The two questions that we live from are what is the Father doing and how can I join him in his work? A few verses before this passage, we read Jesus say that the Father is always at his work. God is at work all around us, all of the time. He has been from the beginning of creation. He will be long after you are dead. God didn't just set the world in motion and then retreat back to his vacation house in heaven, uh, hoping that we would just be able to take care of ourselves. Jesus didn't peace out after resurrection, ascend to the Father, and say like, yeah, you guys go figure it out on your own. No, the Father is still busy at work in the lives of people all around us and the invitation to each one of us is simply to join him in what he is doing. We read another part of the, the Gospels, Jesus described his mission by saying, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and let me tell you friends, he didn't quit seeking and saving the lost when he, when he ascended to heaven. He is still doing it and the question is, are we going to join him? And if we believe that it all depends on us, we will either burn out or we will shut down. We'll take on more than we can possibly handle or we'll stick to what we can manage. And Jesus describes the life of a disciple on mission as simply joining God in his work through acts of radical and simple obedience. And so the question is, who has Jesus put in your life that needs to hear good news Who around you needs a cup of cold water or a warm meal or even to the dignity of just being seen and acknowledged? Where is the Father at work right now around you? Now, in our humble church, God is opening more and more doors for us to meaningfully serve our community in the months to come. Over the last couple of years, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, that a lot of our opportunities had kind of dried up and shut down during the course of pandemic. But as we're sort of coming out of this season of at least lockdown in the pandemic, more of these opportunities are starting to reemerge. And in that interim time, we have been faithful as a community in very small ways to care for the poor, to serve the students across the street at Hudson's Bay High School, to be a presence for our neighborhood. But if we are honest with ourselves, there is still so much more that we could do. And I think that right now, God is holding out his hand of invitation to Vancouver Vineyard Church, and he is saying, come join me beyond these walls. Over the last year, we've begun to serve refugee families and immigrant families from Afghanistan and Ukraine and Central America, And there is a lot more work ahead of us as we feel God calling us to continue in this in in the year to come. We have vision to, we've started building a kitchen at the portal across the street, something that will give us capacity to meaningfully feed the neighborhood and provide a safe place of welcome for students across the street and people who live all around the vicinity of the church. We have strong partnership working with pastors in Nicaragua to see Lavinia churches uh, uh, planted and thriving. And we believe that God is calling us to re-up and keep engaging, keep working in Nicaragua and serving over there. And these are only a few of the opportunities that are beginning to emerge for us. But here's the thing, we need to work together. We need your time, we need your passion, we need your skills, we need your heart, we need your money, and most importantly, we need your prayers. The Father is at work right here in this neighborhood. Amen? And it's time for us to continue joining him at a deeper and more faithful level, I believe. And one of the, one of the opportunities I'm most passionate about that I'm going to make a plug for right now is that we are planning to relaunch a program called Alpha. Uh, which is nine weeks of dinners that will be served at the portal that are followed by a video that opens a talk sort of exploring um, you know, questions of faith and then an open discussion for anyone who has questions about spirituality or Jesus or anything else. There is no question that is out of bounds and it is so great. Uh, we ran this, uh, we ran Alpha for the first time back in January of 2020 um, and, uh, and it was a really fun time. It was really beautiful. Unfortunately, we ended up having to finish out Alpha on Zoom, which was like a whole new thing for us. But just this week, on Monday, I went on a walk with a friend of mine who attended that first Alpha that we ran. And um, as we were walking and talking, she was beaming the whole time as she was talking about all the stuff that Jesus had been doing in her life uh, since Alpha. You see, she came into our church, not a Christian. And mostly thought that we were kind of weird and pretty intimidating group of people, which is true. We're weird, right? And, um, and, and, it, and it was like, there, it, she didn't feel like there was a good space for her to be able to ask her questions. She was afraid to. And so we said, oh, we're going to run Alpha. And she was like, this is going to be for me. So she started coming to Alpha And Alpha for her was a safe place for her to be real about her questions and her doubts and her journey with other people who were going through the same things that she was. And Jesus powerfully met her there. And we believe that there are a whole bunch of more people like her. So we are going to relaunch Alpha this January because there are a whole bunch of people who need to explore faith right here in our community, right? And we need a team of people to pull this off. And I am like using the pulpit right now to try to twist your arm into joining my team. And so we're gonna actually have an information, and, uh, an information night and initial training on uh, Wednesday, October 5th, 6.30 at the portal right across the way. You guys are writing that down, right? Okay, sorry. <laughs> And you'll be able to find more information about this in our newsletter, but I just want to make a plug. If you are interested in joining us and what we're going to do with Alpha, we would love to have you on the team. We have lots of different roles. You could be an intercessor praying for people. You could be somebody who makes food. You could be just providing childcare. You, You could do dishes. You could welcome people with a smile. We have lots of roles that we need to fill, and you can be part of the team. In conclusion... This is like my fourth conclusion. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Final conclusion. First Peter 3 says this. Always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I think that a lot of what we've talked about over the last month is summed up well right here in this passage. What this verse is saying is that the hope that you receive as a person who is saturated in the presence of God, as a person who is experiencing ongoing formation to become more like Jesus, as a person who has been filled with joy from belonging to a community, presence, formation, and community, that as you are filled with this hope, it will naturally provoke questions in the people around you. And the hope of the Christian life opens doors for, people to, for us to join God in his mission. All of these things are connected. Presence, formation, community, and mission. None of these things are silos. And God help us if we ever become a church where there's the presence people over there doing their 6 a.m. prayer meetings. And over there in Jace's class, there's the formation people who are diving deep into their Bibles. And the community people are out at happy hour having a good time, And we haven't seen the mission people in a while because they're out there doing this stuff. God help us if we become that church because the truth is that every one of us needs all four of these things active in our lives so that we might experience what Jesus invites us into, a life of flourishing and a life of impact. And so the simplest answer to the question for the hope that we have is simply to offer an invitation When somebody asks you why you are the way that you are, you don't have to convince them through a sales pitch. The Roman's road is fine, but not the the tool that you need. I believe the best way for you to be able to give an answer for the hope that you have is through this simple three-sentence invitation. Come and see. If evangelism and justice are scary and daunting to you, the starting point for us is through inviting people to your life group, to church, to Alpha, to your dinner table. The good news that has so transformed our lives is a simple invitation to everyone else. Come and see. Amen.